And we are back in our series in Ephesians. We're going to finish the book over the next few weeks. And Paul turns here to what it means for Christians to be new creations in our relationships. But um, many, hearing the reading, may think verses 21 to, to 33, it doesn't actually sound new. Uh, maybe it doesn't sound like being a, a new creation. Maybe even doesn't sound much like Jesus. Perhaps Ephesians 5 sounds like the thing that we escaped from in the 1950s. So most of my sermons over my ministry on this passage have gone something like this. They've started with a sort of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry the Bible says this. Um, I don't really know why. But um, Jesus is good and we should trust him and do this anyway. And now let me tell you why it isn't quite as offensive as you might think it is. Um, As if relationships were the thing that our culture has right, but the Bible has a problem. Now, by the end of this sermon, you may well still think that the Bible has a problem, but um, I've been challenged. I've been reading a book that I would recommend strongly um, that has convinced me that our culture actually has a much bigger problem when it comes to relationships. The book, it's by a woman called Louise Perry, and it's called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. Louise Perry, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. Um, She is not a Christian, and I think um, not a fan of verses 22 to 24 in particular. Um, She writes as someone who used to be a mainstream liberal feminist, And then her work meant that she spent a lot of time with um, female victims of male sexual violence. And her conclusion is that the sexual revolution has been bad for everyone and it has been terrible for most women. Her application from that, she says, we need a technology that discourages short-termism in male sexual behavior, that protects the economic interests of mothers, and creates a stable environment for the raising of children. And we do already have such a technology. It's called monogamous marriage. Um, She's a reluctant convert to the idea that marriage is good for women, And she changed her mind because she's a reluctant convert to the idea that men and women are different. So it's a a striking book. Um, I think I'd say it's it's full of miserable realism. It's not a very easy book to read in terms of the topics that it covers. But no one should think that our culture has relationships right. No one in the 21st century So maybe we should stop saying sorry for what the Bible wants to contribute to that discussion. Um, Not that churches could claim Louise Perry as if we can, you know, smugly claim to have been right about everything all along. Uh, Christian people are human beings and sin exists inside Christian marriages and existed there long before the sexual revolution. I do think Christian marriage is far, far better than the 1960s experiment uh, with the lives of vulnerable women in particular. But it is not a panacea. 
Uh, marriage is not safe for everyone, and abuse does still happen inside of marriages. Now, I hope that um, introduction points out the seriousness of this sermon. Uh, this morning, we're, we're not going to have just you know a few breezy pointers to a happier marriage. That would be relevant only to the 48% of us who are currently married. And um, this is deeply relevant to everyone. The, the sexual revolution has been a profound misstep in our culture. Our culture puts huge pressure on women and on men with consequences across all of our lives. So this morning's question really is, what if God knew better than us about sex? What if marriage is the good thing, not the thing that we escaped from? Okay, well, I've got uh, three headings for us this morning, and the first one comes out of verse 21, which is that submission is mutual and good. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's where we start. Every Christian to one another. Submission is for all of us, and submission is good. Which sounds strange, doesn't it? Uh, because today, I think submission is seen as the ultimate bad thing in a culture that values freedom and independence above everything else. But submission says that other people are more important than me. Um, and we, we've been doing that to each other all morning. So when we sing, um, it's not about the songs that I want, but it's about what will do other people most good. When we speak after the service, it's not about me. I'm not there to talk about me. It's about others. And notice verse 21, that this must be voluntary, not coerced. And notice it's located under the authority of Jesus. So it says, out of reverence for Christ. And that is both the motivation and also the boundary. So my submission to you comes second to my submission to Jesus. Uh, again, if I'm um, taking the music, even if you really love um, our death metal songs with anti-Jesus lyrics, we're not going to sing them at all sorts. Uh, submission to Jesus first. Submission is for everyone, which could leave us in a sort of equal but terrible position, couldn't it? We've all got to do the bad thing. But the Bible thinks that submission is good. So take conversion, becoming a Christian. That is essentially an act of submission to Jesus. Um, age 10, I was taught a prayer to say uh, to become a Christian that I resisted and hated but then prayed three months later, and it went like this. Lord, I've made a mess of my life. Please come and run it better instead. And that's the moment when I became a Christian. I believed in God before that, but it was when I said, uh, Jesus, you can tell me what to do. Uh, even, Jesus, you can tell me what to think. Um, not in a way that stops me from having objections and free thought, but um, take 5 verse 3 as an example. If Jesus tells me that greed is wrong, well, he doesn't just get my um, reluctant compliance, he gets my agreement until I work on my heart and I agree with him. I also think 
that greed is wrong. And already in Ephesians, um, he has shocked them. Uh, Paul, Jesus, has shocked them. He said things like, Jew and Gentile are one body. Those distinctions of, of race and culture, you're one. Or he said things like, um, there should be no hint of sexual immorality among you in a culture that they lived in where, where that was dominant. Uh, or he said the same about rage or about anger. And I think all of that helps us as we come to this morning's material, as we're working out how to respond to it. Um, we, each of us, we need to decide what we think this passage says, and then we each of us need to live that in our relationships. So um, many in this room will be persuaded that Jesus makes no distinction between the sexes. Uh, if that's your view, well, then live for Jesus as you understand him. But if um, you're persuaded that Jesus says different things to man and to woman, then however difficult I find that, my submission to Jesus means I want to live for Jesus here too. And I should say, I am expecting us to come to different understandings this morning. Um, there are complicated questions here about vocabulary, especially the, the word translated head uh, in English, and also complicated questions about the cultural context. And I would hope that as a church, we would all agree on point one, that submission to Jesus is good, and then treat each other well if we disagree on points two and point three. And because these verses, they apply um, within each individual marriage and household, I think it should be possible to be one church with different views on how this applies. Um, and if you want to think more about that, about um, how we can stay together as one church, even if we disagree on this, then I'd recommend a, a series of sermons that my predecessor, Hugh, preached in 2019 on that uh, subject in particular. So if you Google men and women on our website, you'll find those very easily. But just as point one, I think we, all of us, we experience voluntary submission as good and actually, a lot of the time. So um, many of us, we join overseas mission teams, or um, we volunteer on a team here serving the vulnerable, or um, helping load vans for the Coronation Prom, uh, or maybe we go on a, a Christian youth holiday in the summer. And the ability to work well together, it often means that we submit to the leader of the team. And um, it's never occurred to me that I'm a, an inferior kind of person because I submit to whoever it is that's drawn the short straw and has to lead the team. Um, as I've got older, I've more frequently been part of teams led by people with less experience than me, and praise the Lord for voluntary submission. It's liberating, it's wonderful, it's fruitfully productive, and I hope that that has been your experience as well. Okay, so this morning, um, we need to say something about wives and husbands. Um, submission is mutual, and it is for everyone, verse 21. So certainly, verse 21 says that husbands should submit as well, just as 5 verse 2 says that wives should do and should love as Christ has loved them. Those are both things for everybody. So it's possible that verses 22 to 33 are just worked examples 
uh, detailed examples chosen at random almost, as if um, you could cross out um, wives and you could say all souls kids leaders uh, should submit to Kate and Anna, uh, or cross out husbands and say um, musicians in the church should love the church as Christ loved the church. Um, and in that is the, the big question for us to work out each individually. Um, is this material, is it asymmetric and non-reversible? Let me explain what I mean. Is it asymmetric? In other words, does it actually say different things to wives and to husbands? But then more important, is it non-reversible? Um, could you swap the sexes but keep the, the meaning of what's being said? And as a a 21st century person and a a feminist at the core, I would love it to be reversible, but I I don't think that it is. Um, So for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to outline what I think Paul means and how it would apply. But I need to say All Souls is not moving and changing to be a church where you have to agree with one position on this issue. There will be different views here. And we need to treat each other well with our different views. But um, the only way I, I know how to preach is to tell you what I think it says um, so that we can then talk about that afterwards. So I think that verse 21, when it says submission is for everyone and to everyone, I think that doesn't deny that there will be particular relationships of submission in wider society. I think actually what Paul does here is he states the principle in verse 21, and then he works out and applies it across the next six paragraphs. So um, up on the screen now is a sort of map of the next six paragraphs. We've got three relationships, uh, all of them in the first century within the household. Um, And I've actually also put a reference to 1 Peter there for you, if you want it, where Peter, he looks at two of the same relationships, but then he adds our submission to the government instead of saying anything about children and parents. And what strikes me is that the pattern is the same each time. So mutual submission is then worked out in particular ways where one party in the relationship may be asked to submit to the other, And then the other is told to meet that submission with Christ-like love. So with that said, let's come to our point two, which is wives submit to your own husbands. And we're going to think a bit about what verse 22 does and does not mean. And actually, I have a lot still to say about what it does not mean, and I'd like us to listen to that very carefully. But first, here's an attempt to say what it does mean. So I think this means that within the mutual partnership that is a marriage, submission is a voluntary, principled decision of a wife to defer to the leadership of her husband within the limitations set by Jesus' rule and for the greater flourishing of the entire household. Now, that's a bit of a mouthful. Let me say that again. Um, Within the mutual partnership that is a marriage... Submission is a voluntary, principled decision of a wife to defer to the leadership of her husband within the limits set by Jesus' rule for the greater flourishing of the entire household. Um, Now, notice what that rules out. Um, To your own husbands. So not to all men. Uh, Not in the workplace. 
Um, not because of anything about who is more capable or more able. Uh, not about who goes out to work and how much you're paid when you get there. Not to all men in church. And not to your boyfriend before marriage. I don't know if Sophie and Peter are actually here this morning. Um, if they are, someone pointed them to hear their bands read. Um, they're not married yet. That's the point of the bands. So these verses do not yet apply. Um, again, notice what this rules out. So it says in 21, out of reverence for Christ. So this is not to put a husband above Jesus. Um, this is not what to do when the husband wants to do something that Jesus says is wrong. And perhaps most importantly, not at all to excuse domestic abuse. Um, so there is nothing in these verses that should be used by a husband to justify abuse or that should be understood by a wife to keep her in a home where she is not safe. And these verses, they, they should not be used by Christian friends or by pastors to keep wives in homes where they are not safe. Uh, domestic abuse is real and present in churches and terribly and sadly present in this church. Um, remember, abuse need not only be physical. Uh, it can be verbal and emotional. And Jesus, he is not asking anyone to submit to sinful mistreatment. And remember, coercive control, it is wrong and sinful and illegal. Uh, biblical submission can only be given voluntarily, moment by moment, between husband and wife. Her decision whether or not to do this as part of her commitment to Jesus uh, is about her and Jesus. It's, it's, there's no mechanism for the husband to demand this. Now, I, I labor that because I know that this is not theoretical for some in the room because I am told occasionally about abuse within marriages here. Um, and I also, I read the statistics, so I expect that for every one I know about, there will be any number of others. Um, please speak to someone who you trust. Um, the, the Bible is not here to keep you in a situation where you're being harmed, and we are not here to do that either. And uh, if you know someone you trust in the room today, please speak to them, or the, the posters at the back of the room, they all have on them a, an anonymous phone number um, for a domestic violence helpline. There are people who will help uh, and will speak and will not tell someone because of these verses that they must stay somewhere where they're at risk. Also, um, notice that Ephesians 5 does not overturn the rest of Ephesians or the rest of the Bible and what the Bible says about human beings. So men and women are equal, equal in status and in the image of God, equal in value and worth and dignity. They are, we are part together of the body of Christ, equally gifted, equally responsible for the mutual health of that body. Um, maleness is not more anything, really, more righteous, more spiritual, more important. And submission is to be worked out by each couple as the people that they are. So this is not about imposing a stereotype from culture or from history or from the personalities of other people. It's, um, it's baffling to me 
that somehow um, the, the North American lumberjack has become the standard for Christian maleness across the world. I don't understand how it makes no sense to me whatsoever, especially now that we know that you know, chopping down all of the trees was not a great idea. Uh, so poetry, knitting, songwriting, uh, wearing pink, none of those things biblically belong to one sex more than the other. Uh, Jesus was not a redneck. Uh, there's no, um, no record of him being into guns or sports. And actually there is lots about his tears and his gentleness and his teaching and his love of children. Uh, or um, have a look at Proverbs 31. So it's the very last chapter in the book of Proverbs, so it's easy to find. And it describes the, the noble wife. Um, and it describes her property investment portfolio and her muscular strength and her trade and her manufacturing and her social care projects and her speech and wisdom and instruction and her responsibilities and her public recognition. So um, submission it is not, biblical submission is not what we have seen in The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, nor would uh, Paul want us to go back to the 1950s. Um, I think the ideal complementarian woman in the Bible is Deborah. Uh, Deborah the prophetess, the judge, the leader, and the victor in battle. Um, submission is not about always agreeing or being quiet or not saying exactly what you think and why. So this is a discussion that each couple will need to have at home differently. Um, and the, um, the Marriage Enrichment Day may help, uh, often very helpful to have someone who isn't in your marriage uh, give you some topics to talk about. I find that very helpful. But if you do agree that these verses call for different things from wives as opposed to husbands, um, you can't work out how that applies by just copying someone else's marriage. Uh, your cultural expectations, your personalities, your own particular temptations and character, they all feed in here. So as just a very small example, I grew up in a, a single-parent female household, uh, whereas Claire grew up in a, a non-Christian home, but in a very traditionally gendered household. And um, we constantly find ourselves coming up against very different assumptions about what this would look like, uh, assumptions that we then try and bring to the Bible and work out together. So within the mutual partnership that is our marriage, where submission is a voluntary, principled decision of a wife to defer to the leadership of her husband, what would that mean for us? Now, before we move to point three, I want to try an illustration that I, um, I hope will help. Illustrations can confuse because uh, they never map on precisely, um, but let me try one illustration. Now, um, many of you know that for fun... I um, go out on the River Thames at night in uh, small boats, in kayaks. Um, and um, when my club goes out on the River Thames, we always designate a leader. Um, sometimes I'm the leader, sometimes I'm not. We sort of roughly take it in turns. And within the club, we have very experienced and capable men and women. Uh, you know, all of us on the river would know what to do. But we recognize that on the Thames at night, the decisions, they are too important to leave to chance. Um, and I cheerfully submit to the leader on the night, uh, whether they know less than me or not. 
Um, and when I'm the leader, I um, try and include everyone in the discussions. We chat on the beach before we launch. There are beaches on the Thames. They're lovely. Um, and then we discuss uh, as we go along and we discuss about what's around every corner. And the leader does not get what the leader wants. Um, what we do is we do what is best for the group. But it does help to have someone calling out the decisions. And occasionally, it helps to have someone making the tough calls. In particular, when someone is in danger, um, the leader shouts commands and we all obey in order to do what's right and safe. Um, with, of course, one very important exception, which is that the, there is a line. If I'm in the group and the, the leader is making dangerously bad decisions or, or decisions that break the rules of the club or the Thames, particularly if I'm there with experience and qualifications, well, then it's my responsibility to refuse to submit to the leader and to tell everyone else that as well. Um, but the principle, I hope that helps, you can see that voluntary submission, um, it is good and it can work well in practice. Okay, third point. Husbands, love by sacrifice your wives, verses 25 to 33. And here again, I hope that illustration helps to open up what Paul wants husbands to do. Um, it's not about giving orders. Um, the husband, you'll see, uh, check every word, is not told to assert his authority. He's told to love. And um, because we always, I think, hear love in the Bible as if it was just an emotion, I've added that by sacrifice. Um, it's very active what we've got here. Love, just as Christ did when he gave himself up on the cross for us. Sacrifice to death. That's what this means. Um, in the last 10 years within um, some bits of uh, Christendom, there's been a lot of angry shouting at men to be more assertive. Um, that's not advice that the Bible thinks men need in general. Here, the, the death of Jesus is the model and the motivation and also the, the outer limit. So, so day to day in the marriage, unless the husband is outside in the garden and nailed to a cross and dying for the sake of his wife, well, then he hasn't yet crossed the line to the point where he is doing these verses too much. So again, if um, you do think that these verses call husbands to do something different to wives, then um, I think this means that husbands are being called to be willing to take the lead, and that that would be in decisions about the family, that uh, the husband would chair those discussions within the family, the husband would put his own interests last, would try and model an example of Christ-like sacrifice, but be willing, if necessary, to have the final say when decisions are most difficult. Um, again, let me say what this does not mean. Um, domestic abuse can be and is done by wives to husbands as well. And so verse 25, let's say the same as we said to wives, verse 25 also should not be used by anyone to force vulnerable husbands into harming themselves. And it should not be used by Christian friends or by pastors to say that husbands cannot say no to a piece of sinful mistreatment that would do them harm. Um, emotional, verbal, financial abuse, as well as physical abuse, can be perpetrated by women 
on men. And no one should remain in a home where they are not safe. Um, But the verses here, they say that um, love by sacrifice, just as Jesus, is actually good for the husband and good for the wife. Um, So verses 26 and 27, they emphasize how good this could be for the wife. It's a bit like how good it is for the church that Jesus died for us. And um, Luke's sermon four or five weeks ago, when we looked at marriage in the whole Bible, develops those ideas much more thoroughly than we'll have time to this morning. Um, And then verse 28 and verse 29 uh, emphasizes how good this is for the husband. And I think the idea here is it's, it's a totally radical way, a new way of thinking about men and women. It's totally different from patriarchy, where men possess women for their own advantage. Um, here, we're told that marriage takes two different people and takes them into being one person, makes them one body, so that doing good to the other person is, in fact, doing good to yourself. And um, the illustration he gives in verse 29 is one that um, frequently you can sort of get behind in a wedding sermon. So if you ask me to take your wedding, uh, one of the things I often want to know is what is the man's favorite food? Uh, Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. So it would go like this. Be like, so um, did Sam ever like dumplings? Ever in his life? Has he ever, um, has he ever crossed London to get to the dumplings? Uh, did he ever bring dumplings back from Singapore in his 10 suitcases? Has he ever spent money and time on feeding his face? Well, now, and normally the, the sort of sat here in front of you, now care for this woman as you care for your own body, uh, for your good and for hers. And it's easy to get the impression reading these verses that the the marriage arrangement is to the advantage of the husband. Um, I think most people today have rejected these verses on that basis. Not surprisingly, because for hundreds of years, men used it as if it said that. And also today, as I said, we see love as simply an emotion. So it sounds like um, husbands contribute an emotion at the beginning of the relationship, and then the wife signs up to a lifetime of subjugating her own best interests. But the the parallel here is of Jesus and the church. So ask yourself, whether you're male or female, married or single, in that relationship, which anyone who is a Christian here today is in, that's the fundamental relationship you're part of, in that relationship, Who gets the advantageous end of the arrangement? See, if we if we took these verses seriously and fully, um, would you say the husband or the wife has the more demanding applications? So the 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 verses, I think. Sorry, I think there are particular reasons why the application to the wife is harder today than perhaps it has ever been because of uh, things in our culture. But these verses, they're they're not about submitting to a sexist, selfish dinosaur. They're about submitting to someone who is trying to be something like Jesus Christ, um, dying on a cross, a servant, and nothing, uh, in order to do good to the other person. And um, Louise Perry, I think, would say, well, good luck finding one of them. 
uh, among the sort of normal men. But this idea of marriage that we have here, um, it takes seriously the differences between men and women, and it takes seriously the need for a technology to enable family and children and women as well as men to flourish. Um, so uh, for husbands, the, the Marriage Enrichment Day may help, as we said, but this is a discussion for each married couple to have at home, uh, not copying each other's marriages, not even our parents, but thinking hard about what it means to love just as Jesus. So again, to give a, a small example, I find um, in our marriage that I reach for equality um, when it suits me, fairness and equality, conveniently, when really what I'm demanding is just selfishness, uh, not fairness or equality. But even if it was, look at the verses. Uh, Jesus didn't ask for fair or equal when he gave up everything for me. Okay, well, there will be um, lots that we'll want to talk about after the service. Um, for now, just look down at verse 33 as we close um, the sermon. So this um, section of the Bible, this I think most hated of sections in the whole Bible, this idea that our society has worked so hard to escape from, comes to the end and lands in verse 33. And as we read verse 33, just ask whether this is what you would want. Um, age 95, maybe after 60 years of marriage. Uh, is this what you would want for your parents' marriages or your children's marriages? It says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Let me lead us in a prayer. Dear Father, we are so grateful for the love of the Lord Jesus for us, uh, for the way that he gave himself up uh, for our advantage. And Father, we pray that you would help us as we seek to submit to him. Help us as we talk together. Help us as we wrestle with these verses together. And Father, pray that we would shape our lives around the Lord Jesus. And that um, as we turn to, to break bread and wine together now, that you would give us that deep sense of his love for us and his gift to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.